lady singing that. I asked Brother Josh to have him sing that tonight. Thank you. Uh, I listened to that song this morning, and God broke my heart. I must have wept for almost an hour. For whatever it takes to be more like you, that's what I'm willing to do. Can you say that? Take the dearest thing to me. If that's how it must be. Lord, if it takes taking my wife, take my houses and my lands, my dreams and my plans, that's what I'll be willing to do. For whatever it takes, for whatever it takes, I believe we don't have revival because we're not willing to do whatever it takes. You know, I might take and have to leave your father and your mother. Night I surrendered, I surrendered what was keeping me from surrendering because I love my parents so much. And I was able to live in the same state close to them and be able to go there and see them anytime I wanted to. Not I surrendered to preach. I said, okay, Lord, may never see my parents again, but that's what it takes. Called my mom that night and I said, Mom, I surrendered to preach. And she started crying. She said, you're not going to be a missionary, are you? I said, Mom, I'm going to do whatever it is God wants me to do. Would you maybe get to the place where you'll say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, whatever it takes. You know, God isn't going to hurt us, but he does test us. And sometimes, you know, uh, he, he has to take us through some things so we can be perfected. You know, it might take having to lose all your riches and becoming poor. That's what Jesus did. He was rich, became poor. The poorest person who ever lived on the face of planet earth was Jesus. He said, foxes have holes and birds, they have nests, I don't have anywhere to lay my head. When Jesus died, his sole possessions amounted to two garments. Are you willing to be poor for whatever it takes? And we are so selfish. And we are so into preserving ourselves. The Bible says, he that loses his life shall save it. He that keeps his life shall lose, but he has, shall lose it. But he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. Be a sad day when many of us stand before the Lord and realize that we lost our whole life. Lost it. Well, yeah, you got saved. Wonderful. 
What did you really do for the Lord? Amen. <laughs> Paul did that, didn't he? Rather interesting, the Apostle Paul is one of my heroes. Interesting, the Apostle Paul chose not to be married so he could serve the Lord. He said, those things which, which were gained to me, I counted them loss. I really believe God wants to send revival, but I don't think we're willing to do whatever it takes. If you've held back in any of these services from coming to the altar, you have quenched revival. I am 63 years of age. I have never seen true revival. Never. I've seen good meetings. I've seen when the Holy Spirit blew through, and I've seen people at the altar. But a true revival is something that will cause a change. And if true revival takes place, it will affect the community. And if a really true revival takes place like the American revival and the great revival, it will affect a nation. And we're glad that God works, but we don't, really, we don't really want to pay the price for God to really do something that might save our nation. Amen? Just think about it. You know, to be like Jesus, it might take some sorrow and suffering. He was a man, he was acquainted with sorrow and grief. Whatever it takes, Lord, to be like you. Well, are you willing to be a man acquainted with sorrow and grief? Are you willing to leave your father? Are you willing to leave your riches and become poor like me? Are you willing to suffer? If we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. I don't like suffering, do you? But we're in this preservation mode. <laughs> Lord, please don't let it cost me too much. Well, don't let it cost me anything. I want it all to be given. I want to get. I don't want to give. Amen. I'm, I'm just talking. I'm going to preach here in a minute. Might take some sickness. Might take a loss of someone you love very dear. Take the dearest thing to me. If that's how it must be. Brother Jeremiah, or yeah, your wife's going to die. I don't want you to weep over it. I want you to get up and proclaim. How about old Job? Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. My wife and I have been through some things that I'm sure God designed so we could be more like him. Wasn't a lot of fun, was it, dear? Shed a lot of tears. But I believe this with all my heart. I mean it with all my heart. It's been worth it. It's been worth it. If God will put you through the fire, he'll put you that. Job said, when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. We'd like to be the gold, but we don't like to go through the trying. 
Amen. Well, I asked him to sing that song. Ladies, thank you for doing that. Brother Josh, thanks for getting that worked out for me. I appreciate it. Take your Bibles, if you would, this evening and turn with me, if you would, this evening to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 18. We're going to move a little different tonight than what I've been preaching, and uh, I, I, I trust I'm doing what the Lord wants to do. I just want to make a statement here. I want you to listen very carefully. There are four things that I love very deeply. Four things I love very deeply. I, I hope you'll hear these, and I hope maybe you can say the same thing. Number one, I love God very deeply. I want to ask you, do you really love God very deeply? Oh, how I love Jesus, but I'm not going to go to church. Oh, how I love Jesus, but I'm not going to change my lifestyle. When asked what was the greatest commandment, Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul and mind. This is the greatest commandment. So I'm going to make a statement tonight. I want you to get this. The greatest sin you commit is not smoking. I'm against it. The greatest sin that you and I commit is not loving God with all our heart. Jesus asked Simon, do you love me more than these? It's not wrong to love anything else. I love my wife. I'm supposed to. I'm commanded to. I even love cars. If you're a true man, you love vehicles. Amen? I love trucks. I got a 2006 Dodge, uh, uh, you know, uh, crew cab with a, with a, with a 5.9 liter Cummins diesel. Amen. Can't get better than that. I love it. But I cannot afford to love something more than I love God. I love my wife, but the Bible says that he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that love her son or daughter more. I love God tonight, and I do not want ever to love anything more than I love God. If you love anything more than you love God, you've broken the greatest commandment. And you've committed the, the first and greatest sin that you could commit. I love God tonight. Number two, I love my family tonight. Amen? You love your family tonight? Amen. You know, I'm, I'm beginning to wonder sometimes if Christians today really love their families. I'm beginning to wonder if parents really love their families in the way that they sometimes let their children go. I don't know how you can love your family and give them a cell phone when they're six years of age. I don't know how you can love your family when, Dad, you don't have enough guts to be the head of your house and put down some rules and make sure they live by them. I don't know how you love your family when, 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 when you can set a bad example for them. You know what Jesus said? He that, that uh, keepeth my commandments and teacheth others shall be called great in the kingdom of God. He that breaketh the commandments and teacheth others shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Dad, I want to ask you, are you breaking commandments and your children are seeing it? And by doing so, are you teaching them? You don't have to listen to the preacher. I don't listen to him. You don't have to listen to God. I don't listen to him. I'm going to tell you something. I quit church because I saw that. 
And I preached with hellfire and damnation right down the line. Preacher, we all went there and said amen, and we all went out and did exactly opposite. He said, I did it too, but I said when I got old enough, I said, I'm not going to go to church and act like I'm, 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 I'm obeying. And it ruined my life for several years because I was taught by example that these commandments don't mean anything, even though the Bible says and the preacher says it, they don't mean a thing. God says if you do that, you're going to be called least in the kingdom of heaven. I love God very deeply. I love my family very deeply. I love Israel very deeply. Somebody say amen right there. Now, you better get this down. Israel are God's chosen people, and that's never been changed. You better get this down. They are not the, they are not the, uh, the, uh, the oppressors in the Middle East. They have not taken Arab land. You just read your Bible, you got to figure it out. The, the, the Jews took the, the, the land of Canaan from the Canaanites. The Canaanites are not the descendants of Shem. They're the descendants of Ham. The Arabs are Shemites. They're, they're basically the half-brothers of Abraham, Ishmael, I mean, you know, of Isaac. Amen. And the Arabs didn't have that land before the Jews. The Jews had it before the Arabs. I love Israel. There's an independent Baptist movement that's anti-Zionist, and you better not have one ounce to do with that, nothing to do with that, nothing. I don't care how slick he is. I don't care what he teaches. If he's against Israel, he's against God. He's bringing a curse. Amen. And America's about to get cursed. And the only thing, I thank God we got a president that's pro-Israel. Thank God he moved our, 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 our embassy to Jerusalem and made the statement, that's Israel's capital. Amen. And one of the things keeping God's hand from judging this nation is the fact that we are still a friend of Israel. If you got a problem with Israel, you better get at an altar and get your heart right with God. Amen. Amen. I love Israel. And you know what else I love? I love America. I love America. You know, I am so glad I was born in this country. I could have been born in Russia. I could have been born anywhere else in the world. But God let me be born in this country. Now, I said all that to say this, from where I'm standing tonight, every one of those things I love is in danger. Every one of those things I love is under a, a severe attack. Every one of those things I love is literally, I'm just saying to you, literally, it looks like they're on their very last leg. Now, I know God is not ever going to be on his last leg, but it looks like God is on his last leg in this country. And when that happens, that God is no longer anything in this country, you can expect that this country is going to experience some real heavy judgment from God. Amen. And I just want to say this to you. I don't think the rapture is going to take place before we have to experience that. So some of you need to quit just sitting there with your head in the sand like an ostrich. Well, Jesus will come back before it gets too bad. Don't you count on it. Let me just say something. One day with the Lord is as a thousand years. And a thousand years one day. You know how long Jesus has been in heaven? Two days. Two days. 
When he said, oh, I'm coming back quickly, he wasn't lying to you. You see, you and I don't operate on, on God's time schedule down here. We're on this, this earthly time schedule, but God's on a totally different time schedule than we are. God, I've said it's been 2,000 years. It's been two days. I sure hope something happens. I hope the rapture takes place before we have to go through much. Well, I do too, but I wouldn't count on it. It's time for you and I to quit sitting around and hoping the rapture takes place. It's time for you and I to start saying, let's have revival. Let's have revival. Let's don't just expect the rapture. How about we just have revival and see what God will do? Amen. Do you really want revival? Do you really care about God? Do you really care about your family? Do you really care about Israel? Do you really care about America? Well, why don't we have revival? Why don't we quit playing games with God? Why don't we quit living for material things? You better listen to me. I'm telling you the God of independent Baptists is our money and our material possessions. I'm not trying to be mean, but I am trying to wake some folks up. If it makes you mad enough to get right, then praise the Lord. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. Isn't it interesting? You know, God never puts one word in the Bible without knowing exactly what he's doing. He didn't say you can't serve God and Allah. He said you can't serve God and Baal. He didn't say that. You want to know why? He knew that Christians post-Calvary would never worship a stone. We would never worship some idol we carved out by our hands. We, we, we know that Jesus, we know Jesus. What he did know is we would start worshiping mammon. I'm going to tell you why we don't have revival. I'll tell you why so many churches are not doing anything. I want to tell you why the hand of God is not on things anymore. Because all of his, many of his people, not all, but many of his people, all they live for is money. And then God, give God a little, you know, we'll give God a little service here and there. Amen. I'm not trying to be mean. God wants us to have money. The more money we got, the more we can do for the Lord. And God isn't upset when we have things. He gives us originally all things to enjoy. But he didn't give them to us for us to worship. He didn't give them to us for us to live for. The Bible says, labor not to be rich. Uh, well, you like the Bible, don't you? You're a Bible believer, aren't you? Really? Before you say amen, you better ask yourself. Bible's pretty clear. Jesus said, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasures are, where your heart be also. That's why so many people's hearts are in the world and not in God. Now, I know I'm probably preaching to the choir tonight, but you know, I know where revival's got to start. It's got to start with God's people. President Trump can't bring revival. Amen. Politicians are not our answer. And by the way, I'm for, I'm for, I'm for our politics and I'm for voting. 
and I'm for writing your senator. I wrote President Obama many times when he was president. But I am also for praying for them. And I prayed every day for President Obama while he was president. And I pray every day for President Donald Trump and Vice President Mike Pence. I pray every day for my, for my, my governor who is a liberal woman. But I pray for her. Because that's what God told me. If I want to have a quiet and peaceable life, they need to get saved. Amen. Well, take your Bibles, turn to Jeremiah chapter 18. So tonight, I want to try to speak to you a little bit on a national revival. The urgency for a nation to have revival. And especially the urgency of a nation that is God's to have revival. I want to make a statement. I want you to listen. I was a history teacher and a football coach before God called me to preach. I want to say to you tonight, there have only been two God nations started in the history of the world. Israel and America. Israel committed spiritual fornication. Get this, Israel was God's wife. He married her in a covenant relationship, a covenant marriage under Abraham, Abrahamic covenant and promise. They were his wife, and all he wanted them to do was just love him and serve him and worship him and give him the glory that was due him. But they got enamored with Baal. They got enamored with Ashtaroth. Now, we're not enamored with that, but we're enamored with money. We're enamored with material possessions. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not at all. I'm not saying it. I'm not saying it's wrong what you have. I'm asking you, where is your heart in all this? I'm asking you, what is it that motivates you? Who or what is it that makes most of your decisions? You know who's supposed to make our decisions? God is. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thy own understanding. In some of thy ways acknowledge him. Is that what it says? In all thy ways acknowledge him. When's the last time you asked God for wisdom about a decision you made instead of looking at the money it was going to give you? The material possessions and blessings is going to be. When's the last time you let your children participate in something because it was fun and pleasurable and the world had produced it for them instead of asking them, God, is this what my family ought to do? Now, I'm not trying to be mean, but let's get off our high horse. If we want to have some revival, it's time to get real, folks. If we're not going to get real, then we just ought to shut the meeting down tonight and go home. And, you know, for probably for some people, that'd be a real blessing. Well, I didn't come to hear that. No, I, well, maybe you didn't, but I sure hope you'll hear it. Because if we don't hear it, this nation is down the tube. Now, listen, I'm not preaching revival for me. I'm going to be 64 in July. Man, I'm, I'm, <laughs> if they kill me today, it don't make a bit of difference. I've lived a good life. But I have three children, all of them married. And I have 10 precious grandchildren. 
if something doesn't change in America and Jesus doesn't come back, my, my, my son that's a preacher in Chicago is probably going to end up in prison. And they may cut his head off. And my precious grandchildren may raise up in America where they'll not ever be able to hear the name of Jesus unless it's done secretly in them of having a danger of being killed themselves. That can't happen in America. You need to wake up. I'm preaching revival, and I want to see a national revival because I'd like to have my son, my sons and my daughter and their families enjoy the blessings that I've enjoyed. I'd like to have them to have the freedom to assemble like we are without fear and sing the praises of God and walk on the streets of America and be able to shine our light. Jeremiah 18. Look at me at verse 7. If you'll read it, stand for the reading of God's word. I'm getting the message. I'll try to be brief. Yeah, I told you I got that outline. I haven't learned that one yet. Jeremiah 18, verse 7, look what it says. At one instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it. If that nation against whom I pronounce turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation, a kingdom, to build and to plant it, if it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. Here, dear friends, is God's dealing with a nation. He didn't say if Israel, he said at one instance when I say to a nation, So he's talking here about God's dealing with any nation that he says, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, you're, you're, you're wicked and you're evil. And I've sent you a preacher. I've sent you a prophet. I've sent somebody to stir you up about dealing with your sin and having righteousness. And you didn't listen. I'm going to destroy you. What nation I decided to set you up. And you think, well, we got God's hand on us so we can just live in the old way we want to. I'm going to destroy that nation. I don't know where America's at, but I believe America will be found in both of those situations. And notice the little word instant. That little word instant means in a short moment of time. Here's what God's saying. The moment that I decide that I'm going to destroy that nation. They've just got a little moment of time, only a little short time. They don't have forever. They don't need to be playing around. They don't need to be thinking, well, you know, we got time. No, he says, at that instant, that nation better repent. I don't know how much longer we got in America. But I know this. I sure do enjoy what we've got here. I sure do enjoy coming 
to the Community Baptist Temple in Akron, Ohio, one of the greatest churches I've ever been in. I hope you truly understand what a blessing you have. I hope you truly understand how wonderful it is to be saved, how wonderful it is to have freedom, how wonderful it is to, to be able to be in this church, amen? And I hate to think that we don't appreciate it enough to do what we ought to do to keep it. Well, you know, just I know, I know, I know. We're all busy. We're all wrapped up in ourselves. We've all decided what direction we're going to go. And we don't like it when the preacher climbs our tree. I want to tell you something. Those prophets that God sent to Israel didn't come in and tickle their ears. You have a pastor. He loves you. He leads you. He feeds you. That's what he should do. But every once in a while, you need a you need a revivalist or maybe you could call it a, I don't believe in prophets today, but maybe just somebody that has a, that, 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 that calling on their life to come in and say, you know what? Why don't we get right with God before God decides to get wrong with us? Well, God would never do that. You need to read your Bible. Just read Psalm 1. Blessed is a man that walketh not in the counseling of God, nor standeth, but his delights in the law of the Lord. He shall be like a tree planted by the river. The ungodly are not so. Like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Can I tell you, America is just about as sinful as any nation in the world. We'll just stand by like ostriches and put our heads in the sand. Well, I hope Jesus comes back. I do too. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Tonight it'd be great. But if he don't come back, how about let's have revival. Father in heaven, please help me tonight. Help people to listen. Holy Ghost of God, please. Father, please, I'm just, you know, I know I'm crazy I know I'm ADHD, and I know I scream and holler a lot and move around a lot. That's just me, Lord. But I hope, dear Heavenly Father, that, that you will take the word, take the message. Pray that people will, if there's something about my behavior, my preaching that maybe offends them, I pray you'll just block that out of their mind and let them hear tonight the message from God, please. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. I will not have much time to get into this, but I believe a study of history and a study of the prophecy of the Bible shows us that America is God's nation. If you would, take your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. I don't have time to go through all this. I've talked, talked to a preacher about it the other day. And actually, the first time I preached here, I know most of oh, you may be seated. I'm sorry. I get started preaching. Every time I pray, just sit down, okay? <laughs> I just get started. I was here last time when I came here and preached, been four years ago in the old building. I preached a message on the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. In Matthew 24, Jesus said to the, to the Jews, he said, and the Jews shall be trodden underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. The Jews were set aside. God divorced Israel. 
he had divorced him, Aholabun, and, and I can't remember the other what they called him. But both of them, Israel and Judah, God said, you've committed adultery against me. I married you. I made you my special people. And all I wanted you to do is just be a, a faithful wife to me. Can I tell you, you men in here that are married, how would you like it if your wife loved another man more than you? How would you like it if you came in and your wife was talking about somebody else being so wonderful? The Jews loved Baal and Ashtaroth more than they loved God. And when the Chaldeans came in with all their armor on and all their chariots and stuff, the children of Israel began to say, wow, look at this army. And they gave greater might and they gave greater, greater respect to the Chaldean army than they did the almighty God who killed people at hundreds of thousands just with his hand. And I wonder tonight how many of us give more glory to our home than we do our Savior. We talk more about our job and our cars. Jesus is what we talk about on Sunday. The rest of the week we talk about everything the world has to offer. Look at my boat. Look at my car. Man, I'm not against you having those things. But when you talk about them more and you have a desire for them more than you do Jesus, you are committing adultery. My wife better not come home and start talking more about some man than me. We got problems. That's what Israel did. And God said, because of that, I'm divorcing you. I'm setting you aside. And I'm going to let the Gentiles have the preeminence. And I'm going to keep you trodden underfoot until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now, we know that we're coming close to the time of the Gentiles because in 19 and 18, Balfour Declaration, Jews went back to the Promised Land. In 1948, they became a nation. And when Jesus comes back, one of the main reasons he's coming back is so that Israel can be reunited with their husband, God. Hosea tells us about that. Go marry a woman of harlotry. She's not going to be a wife. She's going to run around with all these other men, and you're going to feed her, and you're going to clothe her. And finally, when she's, a, she's just been just a, a, of no value and been used up, you go down to the slave market, and you buy her, and you take her back to the Valley of Acorn and say, you're going to be my wife, and I'm going to be your husband forever. We're never going to be separated again. But during that interim, God says, I'm going to let the Gentiles have preeminence. And I don't have time to read all this, but in Genesis chapter number 9, after the flood, Noah gets drunk. His son sees his nakedness. He awakes from that, and he makes a prophecy. He says, Cursed be Cain, and a servant of servants shall he be. Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be a servant. And God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tent of Shem, and Canaan shall be a servant. So he says to the Canaanites, because of what your father Ham did. By the way, let's just talk for a minute. Did you know that Canaan was not the one who saw his father's nakedness? It was his daddy who saw it. Can I say something to your dad? You better be careful. 
You know that sometimes God doesn't judge you for what you did. He passes it on to your children. And I'm going to tell you something. My children right now are suffering from what, what, what my, my generation and the generation before has done. Can I tell you that in the 1920s, they had prohibition and alcohol was not allowed to be sold and it was working in this country. And because there was money to be made and because there's a few lawbreakers, they decided to do away with that and my grandparents stood by and let it happen. Can I tell you, in 1955, a woman by the name of Muriel Harrow, whatever her name was, got all upset about her son having to hear the Bible in school and pray. And a one, one woman rose up and took from us the Bible and prayer out of our school. And my parents' generation did nothing. You know, in 1973, Roe versus Wade, they made it legal to butcher and kill and murder innocent lives. And if you believe abortion is good, you need to get your heart right. Life begins at conception. I'm glad Japheth wasn't aborted. He was born a harlotry. Hey, there's, there's guys in the lineage of Jesus that are a result of incest. Those babies didn't sin. Why should they get killed? Amen. I get really upset, preacher. I really get upset. I think we got some independent Baptists who have listened to the liberals and started to believe that junk. And when I preach it, they get mad. They get hopping mad. Tell you, that, that killing babies, that's murder. My generation allowed that. Now, this younger generation has allowed them to sanction homosexual marriage. The Jews, <laughs> Jeremiah weeping over what happened to Israel in Lamentation says, our fathers have sinned and we are bearing their iniquities. God says to Moses, he announces himself, Lord God, long-suffering, merciful, but not always striving with men. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. There's a commandment in the Bible, listen to it. Ye that love the Lord, hate evil. Don't just kind of have a dislike for it. Hate it. Don't nestle up to it and say, you know, I'm kind of fond of evil. And I tell you, one of our problems today is we got a lot of Christians that are fond of a little bit of pornography. Now, I won't get on Playboy, but I'll look at the swimming suit. We're fond of a little bit of worldly music that doesn't honor Christ. Hello. Boy, preacher, if I could, if looks could kill, I'd be dead. And so God said to Israel, here's what I want you to know. If I say I'm going to destroy you, if you'll repent, I'll repent. And if I said I'm going to bless you and you turn to evil, 
I'm going to repent of the good I did. Amen. And I'm telling you tonight that God has the same, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He changes not. God is not a respecter of persons or nations. And we have been deceived by the devil and our own because I love America too. I love it just like you do. What a greatest land to ever live in, man. I mean, hallelujah. I don't want to live anywhere else in the world. But we've been convinced America's so great. America's so strong. America's so everything. Nothing could ever happen to America. Can I tell you, when God started taking his hands off of Israel, they started putting their money in bags that had holes. Didn't matter what they made, it cost more to live. Hello? Their armies started losing battles. Never, never thought. And people started ridiculing Israel. Never in my life would I thought any of these smaller countries would have the audacity to, to back talk America. Burn her flags. But see, righteousness exalteth the nation and sin is a reproach to us. And we're under reproach right now. I thank God we're not as much reproach because we got a president that finally decided to do some things. I don't, I don't know if he's saved or not. I really don't, I don't think so. But there's somebody there. God put somebody there and somehow put some stuff in his heart. I believe God just simply saying, I'm trying to help you, America. Will you help me? I'm trying to help you, Christians. Will you decide to wake up and let's have a revival? Can I tell you, God does not want to destroy people. That's not his business. Let me just tell you why he hasn't come back yet. I promise, I know this. I know why. Why? Second Peter chapter 3 verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He didn't make a promise he's not going to keep, but he's long-suffering, Brother Kavanaugh, not willing that any should perish. You know why he hadn't come back yet? Because he don't want the world to go to hell. And the reason he's left America in spite of all of our garbage is because America has been the mission nation of the world. And America is still the mission nation. We're the ones sending the missionary. And God says, I'm just trying to be merciful to you, America, because I need you to continue to send missionaries. And I'm just sitting here being long-suffering. And I'm looking down at this nation and seeing, are you going to repent so I can repent? Or am I going to have to do to Israel, to you, what I did to Israel? Look at Matthew 21 with me. Oh, I said that about enlarging and the tent. Japheth. If you'll study the Japhethites, they're the Gentiles. You'll say that in chapter 10 of Genesis, go home and read it. The Japhethites, it gives all of them, says they're the Gentiles. The Shemites, the Hamites are called the Canaanites, and the Shemites are called the sons of Shem. And he said that the Gentiles, the Japhethites, would dwell in the tent of Shem and they would be enlarged. The word enlarger, if you study it, means they'll become the predominant power. Prophecy's been fulfilled. Who have been the world powers? 
Greece, Japhethites, Gentiles, Romans, amen, Dutch, Portuguese, British, Spanish, America. God did exactly what he said. And he said the Japhethites, the Gentiles, would dwell in the tent of Shem. That word tent there is the same word tabernacle. You remember when David wanted to build a, a building of stone? God says, I've never dwelt in anything but a tent. You know what that's saying? God knew the Jews would reject Jesus. They're still God's people. But he knew the Gentiles would accept Jesus. So in Acts chapter 16, Paul's getting ready to take the gospel to Asia. He's forbidden by the Holy Ghost to go there. A vision of a man of Macedonia, which is right north of Greece, where Philip of Macedonia was Alexander the Great's father. Calls him, says, come over here. So he goes to Philippi. He finds some women down on the riverbank. He preaches the gospel. A lady by the name of Lydia gets saved, says, you can use my house for the church. And the first church on the continent of Europe was planted. And can I tell you that the gospel spread throughout Europe? It did get corrupted, yes, but go there today. The Russian Orthodox steeples all over. Greece, the Eastern Orthodox steeples all over. Amen. The Catholic Church, the Calvinists in, in, in Austria and the Lutherans in Germany and the, and the Anglicans in England. And thank God, one, there were some always some Baptists who were never part of that. Amen. There's a little group like called the Scrooby Congregation that wouldn't submit to the Church of England. And King James, who gave us the King James Bible, was persecuting them. So for religious freedom, they went to Holland where they had religious freedom, but it was worldly. They said, we don't want to live here in this worldly place. And their pastor says, we began to pray, and God turned our hearts towards America. Amen. 1620, they took out into Speedwell and the Mayflower. Speedwell sprang some leaks. It didn't speed so well. They came back. Half the church stayed in England with Pastor Robinson. Half the church went with Bradford. Sailed into Cape Cod, and before they set foot on this continent, they gave us our first government document called the Mayflower Compact. Begins with these words, in the name of God. In the middle it says, for the furtherance of the kingdom of his son. They knew they came to America so they could worship God according to the Bible, and they could spread the gospel around the world. And you know what? God had that all planned before it even happened. Not because God was, was saying that's what I want, but because God is a God of foreknowledge. That's why he calls you the elect, not because of hyper-Calvinism. He calls you the elect because he knew you would get saved. Amen. If we get the foreknowledge of God down, we could get a lot of doctrines right. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 21. I want you to see it, and then I'm going to preach the message real quickly. That's all introduction. I want you to get it. This is a nation that God established. This was God's design plan before the foundation of the world. 
You know, the Jewish church in, in Acts was who God wanted to take the gospel to every creature. Where is that church today? God knew they weren't going to do it. That's why on the road to Damascus, he said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And Saul became known as the apostle of the Gentiles. And Paul said, you know, I was foreordained to that. He said something else about it. There was a mystery hidden through the ages. And God has revealed that mystery to me. What is it? Christ in you. Salvation is of Jesus. All the prophets prophesied, but they didn't understand, said they desired to look into it, but they couldn't figure it out. But when Paul came, the whole world through the Gentile apostle gets to hear, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. Thank God for our wonderful God. Thank God that he chose you and I who are American Christians to be his special servants. Was he not interested in the Canaanites? Sure. He wanted to hear the gospel. He needed some nation to do that. Was he not interested in the Shemites, the Jews and the Arabs and the Orientals? And Yes, but he needed a nation to do it. And he says, I've already got this plan they're going to come some folks over here and establish a nation. Oh, I can't help it. I'm getting excited. Look at Matthew 21. Jesus speaking. Said last night when Jesus speaks, you ought to listen. He's speaking to the Jewish religious leaders. In verse 33, he says, Here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard, hedged it round about, digged a wine press in it, and built a tower, and let it out to husband, and went into a far country. By the way, I don't remember what prophet it is, but one prophet said, God said to the prophet, I planted a vineyard, talking about Israel. I put a hedge about it. I dunged it. I came looking for grapes, and I found wild grapes. And he asked the question, what more could I have done to my vineyard? He simply talking to Israel said, what more could I have done to you? I chose you. I was your God. Nobody else knew you personally. And you knew no other God personally like us. You're special. And I planted you. And then he says to him, amen. Verse 34, and when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that, that, he might, that, they, that they might receive the fruit of it. And the husbandmen took his servants and beat one and killed another stone. So the husband are the Jewish people. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they done to them likewise. Just read what they did to all his prophets. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his parents. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. Jesus was prophesying what they were going to do to him. Isn't that amazing? And then look what he does. He asks a question. When the Lord, therefore, of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? And here's what the answer. They say unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard where the fruit's going to come from under other husbandmen, which shall render him his fruit in their seasons. Jesus saith unto them, did you never read the scripture, the stone which the builders rejected, talking about himself, the same became the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. He said, this is God's doing. He already had this plan. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Now watch verse 43. Therefore say unto you, 
the kingdom of God, the gospel, shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruit thereof. One nation under God. He said, here's what I'm going to do. Jews, you're not going to give me the fruit I want. I know that. So as the head of the corner that you're going to reject, the church is going to be built on me. And eventually, that kingdom of God is going to go to one nation. And that nation will bring forth the fruit thereof. You know what the number one fruit of Christianity is? Other Christians. I'm not talking about the fruit of the Spirit. So many of us are confused that think that we're bearing fruit when we have the fruit of the Spirit. No, you're not bearing fruit. You have been given the fruit of the Spirit. When you bear fruit, it means you will lead other people to Christ. He said, here's my commission. Go preach the gospel to every creature, baptize and train them. This is what I want you to do, Jewish church, but you're not going to, only a few of you are going to accept me, and the rest of you are kind of just going to go off into oblivion, but I've got it already taken care of. I'm going to send that gospel to the Gentiles, and they're going to accept it, and one day there's going to be one nation raise up. And they're going to give me the fruit. You know what another fruit that God deserves is? He needs to be told and he needs to be made known that he is the only God. And our founding fathers did not believe in Allah. Well, I don't think you ought to talk that way. Well, I think we shouldn't cowtail. I think we should quit letting uh, somebody take over our God-given nation. Amen. There is no God but Jesus. He said, all the gods of the nations are idols. I'm the only one. Well, that's real narrow-minded. Sure is. Shake your heads up and down. It's truth. And one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, another fruit of of being a a, a Christian is righteousness, holiness. We sure quit giving God that, haven't we? Even in our Christian homes. And so here's God, he says, I said, I'm going to to build you up and plant you. And if you turn to evil, I'm going to repent of my blessings. God sure has put up with a lot. How much more do you think that we ought to just think we can put God through? The Bible says it's high time to wake out of sleep. In what instant? The wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. 
It didn't say nations that never knew him. My people Israel have forgotten me days without number. America has forgotten her God. And many of us Christians, the only time we think about it is on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and the rest of the week. It's all about the world. Let me tell you something. I love you tonight. I hope you're not, I hope you don't, I hope you don't get upset with me. Can I tell you, I'm preaching tonight what I believe every Christian in America needs to hear before it's too late. No, it's not pleasant. No, it kind of convicts. By the way, conviction is good. That brings repentance. Repentance brings revival. Tell you why don't we have revival? Because we don't ever get convicted. We don't ever repent. I'll tell you why the mega churches are growing. Because there is no conviction. God loves you, and you can live any way you want to. I did my Sunday morning duty and felt good. Thank God for my preacher walked around all week and took down every sin I committed. Got up every Sunday and just blasted me. Hadn't it been for him, I'd have been in prison and dead. Now go to Psalm 111, and I'm about done. So it goes, whew. Well, I used to say that in my church. I'd just say, ladies, keep your shoes on because I say I'm about done. It's probably not true. You ever ask yourself why ladies take their shoes off? Any ladies got your shoes off tonight? Oh, this is a good church. You don't do that. My ladies did. Look at Psalm 11, verse 3. Powerful question. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Are you listening? I want you to notice the first word there. It's very important. It says if. It doesn't say they are. I'm going to tell you something. If the foundations are destroyed, there is nothing we can do. But I don't believe they're destroyed yet. They are being attacked. They are being eroded. But I'm telling you what, we still, and by the way, Elijah, you know, he said, I'm the only one, I'm the only one. God said, no, I got 7,000. Could I just try to give you a little bit of, of encouragement here? There's a whole lot more than 7,000 Bible-believing, separated, soul-winning Christians in America. And God looks down and says, folks, don't get discouraged. Don't get depressed. You know, Elijah got depressed. You know, all the prophets of Baal and they're winning. And God said, oh, Elijah, no, no, no. Don't get that way. And I'm not preaching tonight to discourage you and depress you. I'm saying, dear friend, we got to wake up and understand that God is God and these things can happen. But we got all kinds of hope. I believe America can have revival. Well, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? I want you to go to two passages quickly. Look at 2 Chronicles 7 and get your finger in James chapter 4. And I'm going to give you tonight what you and I in this church can do so that America not be destroyed. 
at least maybe, I haven't got time to do this. How many times did God send a prophet to Israel and say, you're done, you're done, you're done? And they repented, and so he repented. If you look at God, God kicked that can of destruction down the road for a long time. Finally came to Jeremiah and said, Moses was here and somebody else was here. Don't, don't pray for him. I'm not going to forgive him anymore. But I don't think God's come to a place where he won't forgive us. Amen? Why, Brother Houston? Because still a lot of people need to be saved. Why, Brother Houston? Because we're still sending missionaries. By the way, can I tell you something? One of the greatest things this church can do is send as many missionaries as you can to a foreign country. God says, hey, I got to keep that church going. <laughs> I got to keep blessing them. Just start shutting up your bowels of compassion. Start holding your money back. See what God does. Now we ever talk about in churches giving. No, it's not. But I'm going to tell you something. If you don't give so the gospel gets out, God he can't bless anymore. Okay, I'm hurrying. <laughs> Second Chronicles 7, 14. Look what it says. Y'all know it. If who? My people. Not the heathen. Not the other religions. If my people, which are called by my name, Christian, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now look quickly at James chapter 4 with me, verses 8 through 10. For every Old Testament passage, there is a New Testament correlation passage. I believe James chapter 4 is a correlation. If we want to see revival in America, the New Testament, and that in Second Chronicles, but James chapter 4, verse 8, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Watch it. Cleanse your hands. He said, if they turn from their wicked way, ye sinners, purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Watch the next statement. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. What can we do? Number one, prostrate ourselves. I'm talking about humbling yourself. If my people will humble themselves, humble yourselves, he said. Can I tell you what? We have a pride problem. Ain't nothing wrong with me. Get off of it. Everybody in here is a sinner. Everybody in here is dealing with flesh, so we cannot do the things we would. Everybody in here, if they be honest, you know there's something in your life that's not right. And God, God knows it. He's not mad at you. And I want to say this. Your preacher doesn't expect you to be perfect. You know what the best thing you can do for your preacher? Just be faithful. If you're faithful, your, your preacher's happy. He knows you're going to mess up because he messes up. What we got to start doing is we got we to quit fighting God about confessing our sins. And it ain't just confessing. The Bible says, he that confesses his sin and forsaketh him shall find mercy. If you confess it and you don't forsake it, don't expect mercy. Do you give mercy to your children when they keep doing the same thing over and over and over again? No, you have to continue to chasten them. But when they decide to quit doing it, they get to live in mercy. Amen. 
Come on, we got to get right with God. We got to humble ourselves. Did you? This just gives. This just gets me, preacher. In the Old Testament, when they saw God, they fell on their face and said, "Hey, how you doing, God? Me and God, we're buddies. This is blasphemy. Me and a man upstairs. That's blasphemy." He is not a man. He's God, holy God, awesome God, pure God. His eyes are eyes of fire. The Old Testament, when they got burdened, Brother O'Donnell, they would rend their garments. We won't even go to an altar. They would put dust and ashes on their head. About time we got humble. God, I'm, I'm, I'm humbling myself before you. I know I'm not what I ought to be. We need to prostrate ourselves. What else can we do to have revival? We should purify ourselves. Turn from the wicked way. What well, says in James there? Purify your hearts. Amen. This and kills us. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. When's the last time you mourned over your sinfulness? When's the last time you were broken to the point you wept and said, Oh God, oh God, oh God, I'm so wicked. Can I tell you what? God hates sin. God hates sin so much, he condemned all sinners to an eternal hell. And in his mercy said, I'm not going to send you there if you accept my son, but don't you think you can play these games with me? Number one, we need to prostrate ourselves. Number two, we need to purify ourselves. And number three, we need to pray. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves, seek my face, turn from the wicked way, and pray, I will hear from heaven, and I will hear their land. Let me give you the kind of prayers we need to do, and I'll be done. I believe this. I don't have time to read it. The second great awakening in America started because a businessman got burdened, and he spent his lunch hour praying. He prayed for 10 years for God to send revival. Other businessmen heard about it, and in the city of Boston, Massachusetts, something like 200 churches had businessmen praying every at noon hour. They heard about it in New York, and they started one in the Fuller Street Church in New York, and revival broke out there. And it spread throughout the whole nation. We can't even get a revival in the church, but they got a revival in the nation because they prayed. What kind of prayers should we pray? Very quickly, and I'll give them to you and we'll go to the house. We should pray prayers of forgiveness. Jeremiah said to God, we acknowledge, O Lord, our wickedness and the iniquity of our fathers that we have sinned against thee. Do you know there was a lady that preached, that prayed, I think, in Pennsylvania, prayed in the name of Jesus, prayed about the wickedness of that house. Boy, did she get ripped. 
in Kansas years ago, a preacher got up in the in the, the double chambers to open Congress and he said, Dear God, I want to say to you, we need to ask you to forgive us because in this chamber we have legalized this and we've legalized that and we've legalized this. And they start going, Boo! 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 Well, we better start acknowledging the sins of America. It's what we think prayer is. Good food, good meat. Thank you, Lord. Let's eat. Now lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to take. Will you commit to real prayer for our nation? Y'all see, we ought to pray prayers of fervency. There in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, it says pray and seek. If you look at that word seek, it means to beg. The Bible says that the effectual fervent prayer, James chapter 5, the effectual fervent prayer, that's hot, burning, intense, passionate, zealous prayer. Can I tell you who the greatest zealous prayer was in the Bible? His name was Jesus. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, if it be possible, he prayed to the point that his sweat were as great drops of blood. Have you ever prayed with such intensity that the sweat runs off your face and drips down on the floor? The fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Number two, number three, prayers with fasting. Joel chapter two, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. Prayers for revival. Psalm 85, verse 4. Turn us, O God of our salvation. Verse 6. Wilt thou not revive us again? Number next. Prayers for my, God's mighty work moving. Psalm 119, 126. I pray this prayer often. Write it down. Pray it. It is time for thee, Lord, to work. For they have made void thy law. God, it's time to work. America has made void your law. God, we need your hand to move. We're too busy playing to be praying. I'm guilty. I'm preaching to myself. Lastly, we need to pray for that. Let me close with these words. Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains of slavery? Patrick Henry. Forbid it, Almighty God. I know what course others I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. Could I rephrase that for us today? Is living comfortable and affluent so dear? And continuing in apathy so sweet as to be purchased at the price of judgment. Forbid it, almighty God. I don't know what course others may take. But as for me, give me revival or let me die trying. The urgency for revival in our nation. I don't know what you're going to do. That's between you and the Lord. But I'm praying somewhere that I go preach. God's people will be moved so much. 
that God will be moved and say, I'm going to give revival. And if they'll just continue, I'm going to give a revival that will change their city. And I'm going to give a revival that will affect this land. Whatever it takes to be like you, that's what I'll be willing to do. Do you really want revival? Are you willing to obey? Let's stand with our heads bowed, our eyes closed. Father, thank you for this dear pastor, these dear people. And Father, I know I'm a revivalist and I preach hard. I know sometimes, Lord, it's not what we want to hear. It wasn't what the prophet said to Israel. It was not what they wanted to hear.